Welcome to episode 362 of the Microsoft Cloud IT Pro Podcast, recorded live on November 17th, 2023. This is a show about Microsoft 365 and Azure from the perspective of IT pros and end users, where we discuss a topic or recent news and how it relates to you. Finally, we have our news episode where we discuss news from Microsoft Ignite. We do actually discuss a little of the AI news, but also some interesting news around pausing virtual machines, updates to virtual machine scale sets, web application firewalls, the new Microsoft Planner, as well as SharePoint Premium. Today we'll talk. Scott, today we'll talk. What do you want to talk about? We'll talk. Ignite conferences, stuff and things. Okay. Ignite News, Copilot, AI. Next topic. We're done with our Ignite News. <laughs> you just <laughs> summed up the entire M365 admin session, <laughs> which I hopped into. I wanted to see if there were some new things in admin centers. What have I missed? And it was all Co-pilot. about Copilot. Not how Copilot could help you as an admin, not even how to get ready <laughs> for Copilot. It was just about Copilot. Okay, now that we talked about Ignite News, what else should we talk about? There was actually other stuff. So there was. Maybe we should ask Copilot what we should talk about. What was the biggest news from Ignite? Now that Bing Chat has been renamed to Copilot. <laughs> okay, the biggest news from Microsoft Ignite 2023 was the unveiling of several new AI products and expansions, including Microsoft Copilot for Services. The I have no idea. How do you pronounce their new chips? The Maya? Maya. AI chips. It's not pronounced Maya, but I can't pull off the other pronunciation off the top of my head. It's been a hot minute since I looked at it. Copilot Studio, yeah, Sentinel, Defender XDR, all of the other stuff. It was a lot of Copilot, but I will say I did happen to see some other stuff that, I'll be honest, given all of the Copilot requirements and barriers to entry to get into someone like me, I have a little bit of Copilot AI burnout. <laughs> And it was affecting... A little bit of envy. I don't know if it's envy or just I'm tired of the marketing push for it. And even the push from Microsoft to different partners, different MVPs to essentially evangelize it. But yet I can't do anything with it. (laughs) Maybe it's envy that I'm masking with disinterest or maybe it's just like flat out burnout from hearing all about all this co-pilot stuff. And I feel like, here's the other thing that I've run into, is I look at things like Loop, and I'm trying to think what else this happened with. I mean, co-pilot to a certain extent, because when was co-pilot first announced? Was it first announced at last year's Ignite, or was it Build? I believe it's been less than... A year. I think it was like... Has it been less than a year? It was November 21st, 22nd, 2022. So almost exactly a year, which is interesting if you think about it. So we've been just like all this news thrown out. Inundated? Inundated, yes, with all these things. And it is interesting to think about it from the perspective of when's the last time Microsoft announced something and got it to GA in less than a year <laughs> across any of its kind of modern cloud stack, be it SaaS services in M365 or new services in M365, Azure. I'm the proud owner of an Azure feature that's been in public preview for almost two years now. <laughs> like, I might say proud owner, not exactly the proud owner. 
some stuff's been out there kicking around for a long time. And Copilot is a rapid thing. Like it's interesting to just disconnect from did you get the news you wanted it to ignite or did you get the types of content you wanted to ignite to just step back and say, huh, <laughs> there's some interesting velocity here. I don't know if it's the right product, right time, right fit, all those kinds of things. But the velocity in and of itself is an interesting story to me. Yeah. And I guess from that perspective, a velocity of Copilot compared to Loop <laughs> is absolutely super fast. Like, I think the velocity of Loop was it was announced two years before we actually started to see some of the previews. But even then, I think after the last few Ignites and some of that, I mean, that velocity is still announcing something and it not coming out for almost a year afterwards, to me these days feels really slow. And I think that's part of maybe my, maybe some of my burnout or the disconnect or just lacking the excitement as it's like, Yay, Ignite, let's go watch all the sessions. But every session you watch seems to be talking about stuff that you can't really do yet. (laughs) Again, Copilot and Loop, and there were some that were announced. Like I think some of the Azure or the Copilot Studio stuff, maybe you can start doing stuff with. And there were some public preview things that came out. But I think it's, I don't get that excitement about watching it day one because I'm like, I can go read the blog post like two or three days later and I'm not going to be missing anything because nothing they announced is like a rush and go try it anymore. Or I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like, why was that excitement? I just didn't have that excitement for Ignite this year that I normally have. Or maybe it's that I missed the in-person, the big conference. I miss what Ignite used to be. And this just isn't the same. I think you need to pick and choose your moments and your battles with stuff like this. I think I've resigned myself to the fact that the days of kind of deep technical conferences, which are the, don't get me wrong, like those are the things that I, I absolutely opine for. Like those don't necessarily exist anymore. I, I was watching, did an internal watch party for at least the day two keynote from Guthrie, because that one focuses on Azure. And most of us were paying attention to the chat just to see what sediment was and what people were thinking. And I was kind of blown away that even some of the folks on our side were like, why are people in the chat saying that Ignite sucks and it's not a technical conference anymore? Why are people in the chat annoyed that they say they're spending thousands of dollars on a conference where they can't learn anything. And it's like, well, my, I think, not so naive take is many of these things. And it's not just Ignite. I, th- I think AWS, like reInvent, is uh, very much getting this same kind of reputation. These big conferences that used to be about technical enablement are now really like sales motions, right? To get people going, which means they don't have to be technical and they're Probably shouldn't be, but they're still being pitched that way. But they are really marketing and architecture-driven kinds of things. So if you go and you're an admin, like I was trying to put myself in the seat of, oh, I've got a 200-person company and I'm taking $6,000 out of the budget to send my my, my one lone admin off to Ignite because they're going to learn all these great things and they're going to give me this great write-up when they come back about all of it, you're probably going to get a pretty dissing disappointing write-up and you're not going to think there's a lot of ROI there. Because that person, like first time going, they would have gone through the motions of, ooh, here's the book of news and I'm going to go to this what's new session and this what's new session or I'm going to go to this roundtable or I'm going to go to this keynote kind of thing. And that's where you're exposed to 
all the marketing and architecture stuff. Like you have to pick and choose your battles and and do that double click and go down a level, which more and more I'm finding to be go to the keynotes and go to the what's new sessions. And then everything else, like you're not getting like a deep dive show off demo for actually how to do it. So if you don't get that out of it, like why not just go to those sessions and then wait for the docs to land and then go check out the docs and and do it yourself and and go on that way. So I did that with a lot of stuff this year. Like like the copilot stuff not inherently interesting to me, but there was some really cool stuff that was announced around virtual machines both in kind of scale also in availability, like you can do things like hibernate your virtual machines now. There's been a big push into zonal availability across Microsoft. So now you can do things like you can take VMs and a scale set. Like we talked about VMSS Flex a while ago, a couple months ago. Yep. So you can take VMs and those scale sets, you can realign them to different availability zones, all without your application having to go offline. There is some nifty stuff that's out there. And I think some of like even the more interesting stuff, at least to me in my day-to-day, it was actually announced pre-Ignite in that big dump of news a couple weeks ago while they try and clear the decks before everything actually lands on that side. I don't know that I really want to go into the co-pilot stuff because there's just so much there. I mean, we could touch on some of it, but if you did have to pick something, was there an announcement that you were interested in that interested you that you saw from Ignite at Ignite specifically. Like I said, it was some of the virtual machine stuff. There's a push into greater perf and scale on compute. So there's things like Azure Boost. I think that's all a big win. Like being able to drive up to 200 gigabits a second from a client VM is an awesome capability. Does everybody need it? Absolutely not. At the same time, does everybody need to drive 650,000 IOPS from a single VM? (laughs) Eh, Probably not. But I work with the kind of customers that do. So that's all like that is genuine tech enablement for the kinds of things that I work on over there. Admittedly, I'm a little bit close to it. Like we have a new service that we just launched in Storage Actions, which is a serverless compute offering that sits parallel to storage, like it's its own resource provider, but it's a purpose-built service for manipulating blobs, objects, so blob and ADL Shin 2, at scale and customer storage accounts. So things like doing like massive set blob tier operations, where in the past you would have scripted out or go build an application and pick up one of our SDKs, like that stuff's all out in the ether and available now. And then the other interesting one a week before announcement kind of thing, but it's something that I've been really looking for a while, is they finally added rate limit rules to App Gateway and the web application firewall in App Gateway. (laughs) So for me, this is really cool because I work in fundamentally a space where we do nothing but work on API surface with our customers all day and we try and teach them the API service and then we have to teach them perf and scale and everything that goes in it. And you don't always have the operational controls you want as a customer there. But now, like tools like that, like rate limiting in a web application firewall, well, it's not ideal to have to inject like a proxy service or something that sits in the middle. It's still 
provides a level of flexibility in application design that I think folks will appreciate. And some of that stuff, like the web application firewall thing, like that was a GA announcement. So it's, ooh, cool, I can just take that to my customers today and, and it's all ready to go and, and it all works and does what it needs to do. Nice. I definitely did not pay as close of attention to some of that type of stuff as you probably did. But I did see a couple, some of those come through. One last really cool one that I'll give you. All right. This one is like, wow, I would have loved to have had this five years ago thing when I was working actively with compute customers. So it's another VMSS feature and it is attach and detach of virtual machines within virtual machine scale sets. Oh, I did see that one. Yes. So one of the big problems that I always had with VMSS is if you had to take a machine down, like you had to do like a scale down operation to take something out because it was misbehaving, your opportunity to really capture and play with that machine was limited to a certain degree. Yeah, there were things you could do, go capture logs, do memory dumps or whatever you had to do. Then you had to go through and do all that analysis. Like I'm a firm believer in if it's running and you can capture it at the time it's running, like with an actual reproducible event, you're way better off than you are having to go down those other kinds of paths. So what attach and detach does, so this is something that works with Again, virtual machine scale sets, VMSS Flex, I believe, specifically is what it does. But it lets you take a single VM and you can either move a VM or you can detach a VM, so you attach, detach, from okay. an existing virtual machine scale set all with no downtime. So say you had a scale set that sits out there and you need to inject like a new virtual machine as a sidecar for logging or something like that. You can just, yep. boom, go ahead and stand. You can stand up and configure that entire VM outside in isolation and then just go ahead and shift it into your scale set when it's ready. That early one, earlier one, earlier, the earlier one earlier, you can tell my brain's really fried this week <laughs> about being able to do things like detach. So great that you were scaled out to five VMs in your VM scale set. One is misbehaving and you really want to see what it's doing and why it's misbehaving. But obviously you don't want to do that while it's in the scale set because you need to continue to surface customer traffic and, and all those kinds of things. Great. You just go ahead and uh, pull it out of that existing scale set. Like it's super easy to do all ARM API driven kind of stuff. So the REST API is there, CLI, PowerShell, all that stuff. Really slick. Like it just works. Yeah. The public preview of how to do this, it's like you get the VM and you get the scale set and you just update it. And that's all there is to it. It's what, four lines of PowerShell to add it to the scale set and then two lines to remove it from. So yeah, it's not at all complex, hard to do anything like that. Super straightforward and simple. And public docs are out there for it. So it's in preview today. Preview is not for production, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. But if this is uh -oh. something you've been looking for, it just works. And I think it's another interesting one because we talked in the past, when we talked about VMSS Flex, we talked about it as this new way to think about virtual machine scale sets and how orchestration mode could potentially impact some of the things you're doing. This is only available with VMSS Flex. So 
I think it goes more to a little bit of that writing on the wall that like, hey, there's no reason not to use VMSS Flex over just straight virtual machine scale sets. Like you get all the additive benefits of scale sets plus the flexibility of Flex. And sorry, that one was purposeful. <laughs> to go ahead and be able to make these things really start to work for you, which I think is important. There's a ton of friction in the cloud in general, and there still is. So the more that these things just work the way you would expect them to, the easier life is for everybody. Yep, a hundred percent. So I have one, Scott. This is going to go down as one of those that could end up frustrating me, going back to all the reasons I talked about before. But I think we've talked about this before. In my fl- f- frustration, frustration is a new word. It's a combination of getting me flustered and frustrated with planner and task management. And then I feel like there's a million different places to do it and no uniformity. This is either going to be really good or completely fall apart. But <laughs> there is a new Microsoft planner, a unified experience bringing together to do's, tasks, plans, and projects. There's AI stuff in here naturally because what would be Ignite without AI stuff. But if you go past all the AI stuff, this is an effort to start trying to combine everything together in some sort of fashion. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but in November of 2023, so this month, we are going to have tasks by Planner and To Do and Teams is going to be renamed to Planner. So not a big change there. It's just getting renamed as Tasks by Planner and To Do to Planner. Spring, the new Planner app and Teams is going to be generally available. And this is another interesting aspect of this. Microsoft Project for the web will be renamed to Planner. And then later in 2024, these timeframes get vaguer and vaguer, more and more vague as you go. Like we go from November to spring to just later in 2024. So could be summer, fall, winter, we don't know. The web experience of the new planner will be generally available. Features one love in Microsoft Project for the web will be available in the new planner app in Teams and the new planner web app. Again, they say they're combining everything. To me, this sounds a lot like to-do may still exist, but it's really a combination of bringing planner and project for the web together into this new planner. And I get the aspect of having to-do is still a separate app. Like to-do is my task management. It's tasks assigned to me, my tasks that I add into like personal tasks or some of that. To-do is let's bring all my tasks together where planner is a little bit more team task management oriented. But my biggest frustration was there was still a lot of stuff missing from planner, like the aspect that I couldn't just get a holistic view of all the tasks in planner or say, here's the five plans that I'm the manager of. Show me all of the tasks across all of my team members for these plans. This is where it's just me hoping that as they redo this and maybe bring some of the project management stuff from project into planner, that planner will actually get a lot better when it comes to that enterprise work management. Because I felt like they rolled it out and it's languished, in my opinion, over the last year or two. Nobody's really made a ton of updates to it. There's been little stuff here and there, but it feels like there hasn't been any real investment in it or improvement to some of these features we all are missing. Hopefully we'll see some of that, but 
this is going to be, again, one of those that to really see the benefit, I think it's going to be like six months, nine months down the road. It'll be one to watch. And let me tell you, any time I have a chance to provide some feedback on (laughs) what I think should be in here, I will absolutely do it. Because, I mean, at Microsoft 365, I would love to use Planner over Jira work management. We've talked about it. That's what I use right now. Because just from a pure work management perspective, it has so much more functionality than Planner does. 100%. (laughs) I'm hoping that we'll see some updates, some changes come with this. But that is one that was not necessarily AI-driven out of the conference that I am going to keep an eye on because I would love to bring that in. There are some things in Planner that I really like, like being able to time to a team, being able to do some of the document attachment stuff, some of that, that it just works better natively with some of the other Microsoft 365 stuff. So we will see. This one's hard for me. So my problem with Planner isn't necessarily Planner. It's Planner and the disparate nature of it, right? Like, like there's no cohesion at all to all the various to-do services. Like the plans that you make in plans are not the same as the like a task list in SharePoint, which are not the same as your flagged items in Outlook, which are definitely not the same as project. There's varying levels of things there. And that's not the worst thing in the world, right? Like right tool for the right job. The problem is there's a whole bunch of tools and it's not always clear like what the right one is. And this doesn't seem to solve that problem. Like if I read between the lines on this blog post, this is all the same services on the back end and a fancy new UI. <laughs> new front end. Yeah. Like we've put in we've put a new proxy on it, but we haven't fixed the underlying problem of I flag an email in Outlook and I have a task in a SharePoint list. Like, how do those two things actually come together and play? Like in my head, if you're striving for simplification, like one path is you do it like this: you put everything in a unified UI, and then you live with the disparate nature. The other thing is you make this the surface and the container for tasks and for all these different things, and then those other services start to consume them. So rather than having five disparate services pulled together under one banner, what if you had one banner that was then just consumed by those services? Could that go the other way? It makes sense. And I don't get the sense from this that this fixes... That problem? uh, At least... Some of my underlying frustrations there, and there's a whole lot of like me personally in there, right? Just having to flip through all these different tools throughout the day and everything else, like because there, there becomes a point with all this stuff, right? I think like SharePoint files and Teams generally works until it doesn't work because you need to go over to SharePoint and do something, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like this in yes. so many places, right? You eventually hit that wall where it's like, oh. That doesn't do that thing. So now I guess I just go to the canonical service that actually hosts it. And that's really only helpful to you, even if you know the canonical service is there, which I don't think many users do. Like it's not always clear the other way to hop out for that. Yeah. And I think that's to where I'm waiting to see what happens with Planner. Because I'm with you. Like we should just get rid of the ability to do task lists in SharePoint. And if you want a task list in SharePoint, Put in planner. Like, why do we need boards in a SharePoint list? Why do we need? And I get different tools for different people. They all like different things, but it does create a lot of confusion. And to your point about Outlook, that's been one of my biggest gripes with Planner for years. As like you said, you can flag one in Outlook, flag an email in Outlook, and it goes to do, but it doesn't help me 
give that task to somebody else that needs to handle that thing that came in via my email. And there was, I don't know if it was on user voice, I found it in tech community, like two and a half years ago, someone asked for, hey, can we add an Outlook email to a planner task? Like, we need an add-in. And this is one thing that Jira does. Be a simple thing, right? (laughs) Add to planner. And it was, like, there was a response from Microsoft that said, we're working on it two and a half years ago. And here we are. Again, fingers crossed that maybe they fix some of that and this is giving it new life. If it's similar to what you said and it's just a new UI on top of three different services and there's no really new functionality like adding tasks from Outlook or some of that, then I'm going to be disappointed. I don't know, but uh, like just reading and... Right, and I don't either. <laughs> From what I know of the way things work and reading between the lines and reading that blog post, like that seems like a new coat of paint. Maybe not lipstick on a pig, but it's... <laughs> You're masking over some of the some of the underlying things that exist there, which could actually be like the more problematic area, or like just that bigger rock that you want to go up and turn over and and see what you can make happen. I don't know. Yes, I don't. I got another one. Just while we got okay. a little bit of time. Do you feel overwhelmed by trying to manage your Office 365 environment? Are you facing unexpected issues that disrupt your company's productivity? Intelligent is here to help. Much like you take your car to the mechanic that has specialized knowledge on how to best keep your car running, Intelligent helps you with your Microsoft Cloud environment because that's their expertise. Intelligent keeps up with the latest updates in the Microsoft Cloud to help keep your business running smoothly and ahead of the curve. Whether you are a small organization with just a few users up to an organization of several thousand employees, they want to partner with you to implement and administer your Microsoft Cloud technology. Visit them at intelligent.com slash podcast. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-I-N-K dot com slash podcast for more information or to schedule a 30-minute call to get started with them today. Remember, Intelligent focuses on the Microsoft Cloud so you can focus on your business. So this one really confused me. You're going to have to help me out here and deal with the stupidity that is Scott sometimes. So SharePoint Premium was announced. Oh, we're jumping down to this one. We're going to do this one because you have a limited amount of time, which means you can't rant and I can get you worked up before your next meeting. So (laughs) SharePoint Premium. What the heck is SharePoint Premium? Because SharePoint's already a premium product. I already pay money for it. Good question. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to be ready for it. It's your show. These are your notes, your links. Come on. No, I am not ready for this. So, well, I threw them out here. Here's the best I can figure is it's SharePoint Copilot. If you want my general, overall, honest opinion on SharePoint Premium. I have not read this, but this deals a lot more from what I understand with the culmination of what they actually announced back in May at the SharePoint conference, where it was starting to tie in some of the being able to use AI to help with... (laughs) This is where it all gets weird. To be able to help with the content in SharePoint. So you've talked about like you write your newsletters in SharePoint, right? And you were Mm -hmm. excited about the whole functionality of now I can write those newsletters in SharePoint, send them out as emails, all of that. 
I think, based on my understanding, is some of this SharePoint premium stuff is now you can leverage AI to help you write those newsletters, to help you format them, to help you bring content together, bring those types of things into SharePoint, not to be confused with what you are going to be able to do in Copilot. Some of the, I don't know if it's in here. I need to look through this article because this is a long article. Make sure the right information is shared. Sensitive information isn't accidentally overshared and exposed in search or Copilot. So there's a little bit of this. Go buy SharePoint Premium to help you get ready for Copilot because SharePoint Premium is also going to extend some of the traditional IT controls around governance, auto tagging. I saw some. This just gets weird, Scott. Because then I saw some stuff about Copilot for topics, but topics is technically still a SharePoint-ish feature. But I don't know that SharePoint Premium gives you Copilot and Topics, or if Copilot and Topics is Microsoft 365 Copilot. The lines blurred here for me some in terms of what exactly this is. I think there's some security stuff in here. I think there's some additional insights around how people interact with your content, what people are viewing with your content, some of that type of stuff too. But it's interesting then because as you go down in this article where they talk about SharePoint Premium, they start talking about Microsoft 365 Backup and Archive. And this may just be, see this as introducing SharePoint Premium, the future of AI-powered content management. So that kind of sums it up. It's AI-powered. But when they talk about Backup and Archive, that is not, SharePoint Premium, that's starting to get into the pay-as-you-go services and stuff for Microsoft Syntax. So this article is a little deceiving in that some of the things mentioned here... No, it's not. ...necessarily. Syntax is getting rolled into Premium. Okay. I have a different take than you. So, And maybe this is based on past life kinds of things. So if I'm reading between the lines on this one, this is Microsoft making a little bit of a play to actually turn SharePoint after how many years, into a proper document management service or a content management service. So if you think about, I don't know if you've ever done customer work on top of things like OpenText or LaserFiche or Highland, like OnBase, anything like that. Like Every organization I've worked in that has those tools, they also have SharePoint. And it's been always just a major pain, a major contentious thing. So I look at a lot of the things that are coming in here, like built-in document viewers, native e-signatures and signing, better metadata and movement and security controls and top of your stuff. Like that is all playing around in the content service platform space where there's already some big kind of players. And I wonder if Microsoft can finally make it work. Because Every job that I had, like when I used to, I, used, I used, I worked in a couple law firms. Every single law firm I worked in had some form of laser fiche going on. Like I learned to love to hate it, kind of thing, because you had to. And again, those organizations also had SharePoint and full-on Office stack and all the things that come with them. There's a whole world of stuff out there that isn't done in SharePoint because Microsoft was never interested in it. And some of this stuff is. They've finally run out of other things to build, so now they can go after some of the established stuff. I kind of get that, but they also talk about SharePoint Premium, I 
put this in the Discord chat too. Our advanced content management and experience platform for next evolution of syntax. Okay, I, that's where it's coming from the syntax. SharePoint Premium brings AI automation, added security to your content experience, processing, and governance. SharePoint Premium will be transitioning services already part of syntax, including SharePoint Advanced Management, to join SharePoint services. So I get all of this. This is all coming. So that's where you're getting it from, is that's all going to be in SharePoint Premium. Then my next question is, given this is another SKU, are you going to have to pay for SharePoint Premium, or is SharePoint Premium the umbrella that all of these services sit under? Because the next link that you'll see down is that essentially all of this stuff that we're talking about is transitioning to a pay-as-you-go services, and it's still labeled pay-as-you-go services and pricing for syntax. So pre-built document processing has a price per transaction. Structure freeform document processing has a price per transaction. Unstructured document processing, content assembly, image tagging, taxonomy tagging, e-signatures, typical character recognition, OCR, Microsoft 365 Archive, and Microsoft 365 Backup are all priced based on transactions, or in the case of Backup and Archive, are based on the amount of storage you're consuming. So is premium just a SKU you light up and tie a credit card to so that all of this stuff is what SharePoint premium is? Good question. <laughs> when has the office team ever really rationalized licensing in a way that that makes sense? I don't know that they have <laughs> ever done some of those things. So licensing aside, it's funny. If you go, so to, to your point, like that, quote of SharePoint Premium is an advanced content management experience platform. It brings AI automation, added security to your content experiences, processing, and governance. Great. The rest of it's all about just transitioning, right, from existing services. So if I go and read like OnBase from Highland, Highland's OnBase platform automates your processes, manages your important business content, and works with your other applications to provide users with a complete view of the right information when and where they need it. OnBase gives you visibility into the statuses of processes, documents, and information, and automates and supports retention requirements. This allows you to transform your internal processes and customer experience, reduce your op uh, operating costs, and minimize risk. Sounds pretty darn familiar. <laughs> like basically one for one, they're coming over to this space. So they're, they're finally trying to bolt Office into a proper content platform. I'm going to get my popcorn out for this one because it'll get interesting really fast. So now I'm even more confused because you keep reading in the article under availability, if you're following along and you want to go read this, availability, we're bringing SharePoint, I'm reading these a little bit out of order, but it's all under availability. We're bringing SharePoint Premium to broad availability in the first half of 2024. So next seven months. Both SharePoint Premium seat licenses, so there is going to be a seat license for this, and Paygo services mm -hmm. can be used independently and combined to meet your business requirements. So it sounds like there is going to be some aspect of SharePoint Premium that isn't 
syntax? Or is there some of those syntax like topics, for instance, I think technically falls under syntax, but I thought they transitioned all of syntax out of a per user model into a Pago model. They have not. But now it sounds, isn't it all out of Pago yet? Nope. Are you sure? Yep. Positive. So (laughs) this is another sneaky one. So if you go to the adoption hub, so you go to SharePoint Premium adoption.microsoft.com. Yep. The overview of SharePoint Premium link, that lands you directly on the overview of Microsoft Syntax article. Straight up, like you're just going there. And then you can dive into Syntax stuff from there, where licensing for Syntax is both pay as you go, per user licensing, and then the per use stuff as well that comes in it. So one would think just from the way it's all wired up today, the syntax documentation just gets rebranded. Like they do a mass rename, <laughs> they call it SharePoint Premium, and then they pull archive and backup underneath those. And then hopefully customers have access to those as Pago services without the need to consume some type of like per user license in SharePoint Premium as well. But that clarity is not there. But that doesn't so. Because it talks about SharePoint Premium becoming probably available next year, which means there's certain stuff that's obviously not there yet. Backup and archive aren't there today. Do you think those are the only two? Nor are some of the content services stuff, right? If they actually want to make a play as a content services platform, having things like a built-in content viewer, critical. Like That doesn't exist for all forms of content in SharePoint today. Having things like e-signatures and like verified metadata movement, all that stuff, doesn't exist in SharePoint today. That's the stuff that's to come and, and be bolted in. But Syntax is there. You can go do Syntax. Syntax is there, right. Now you can go do M365 Backup, Archive. Like That stuff's all kicking out in preview. That's all out there as well. Actually, e-signatures are there too, because you can do e-signatures in, in Syntax. E-signature is there too. Yeah, so there's a good portion of it that already does exist. Right, well, because that's under availability before it says we'll bring all of this broadly available the first half of 2024, it says you can start using SharePoint Premium today. Like, you can start using SharePoint Premium today and we're bringing SharePoint Premium to broad availability in the first half of 2024 are both under availability. So it's like sort of there, but not really there and lead it up to you. And then it does lists, like content processing. More to come. <laughs> yeah, is there content assembly, OCR, e-signature, all the Pago stuff. You can also purchase governance for the SharePoint Advanced Management. Then it lists services under the Syntax brand that are moving to the premium brand in 2024. So maybe that some of it is, it's broadly available in the first half of 2024 when Syntax gets officially renamed to premium. And that article you sent does break it out as all those Pago things at the top under Syntax, and then it does have some other features listed that maybe these are under premium that aren't Pago, like annotations, content query, which is metadata-based queries on SharePoint document libraries. I thought that was search, but you can do it with search. You've been able to do it in search based on content queries with metadata since 2007 days of SharePoint. Never mind that. 
It's new now. I mean, it's been content query forever, right? SharePoint search, it used literally was called like you could go create content query rules in your SharePoint search in SharePoint 2007. But that's neither here nor there. Listen, you're dating yourself now. Yeah, I am. Merge and extract PDFs, processing rules, simple rule-driven actions and document libraries based on metadata, aka let's go create a flow and power automate that processes my content based on metadata. Maybe it (laughs) gets made simpler. I don't know, but that's just new skin on features that already exist. Solution accelerators, site templates. Solution accelerators, new term. SharePoint site templates for Microsoft Syntax are pre-built, ready to deploy, and customizable. Use these templates, otherwise known as solution accelerators. Content appliance, like, I don't know. I don't, it's so, I'm confused. How's that? I have read the articles a little bit, but there's a lot of stuff in here that, oh, I don't know. All the SharePoint premium stuff, other than maybe merge and extract PDFs, sounds like stuff that you can already do. Maybe annotations. And then all the other stuff sounds like Pago stuff that's already there under syntax. We've come full circle. We started at Ignite is a marketing and architecture conference. And we have come all the way back around to marketing and architecture. <laughs> yes. Which, by the way, e-signatures in SharePoint, maybe it's nice because it's built in and it's only pay-per-go, but that seems really expensive to me. Did you see the price on that? I would encourage you to go look at the pricing for some of the other products in this space that do similar things and tell me if you think they're cheap. It's been a hot minute since I've worked on a Highland, but it like was not cheap. 10 years ago. (laughs) I doubt it's gotten any cheaper. Maybe the advantages is that you're paying per signature request for a transaction. I've been at, I don't do a lot of e-signatures. I've been on a free plan of DocuSign for 10 years that does more than enough e-signatures for me. And I've never paid for it. Well, remember, the intent here isn't to compete with DocuSign. DocuSign's its, its own little beast. So this doesn't have to be DocuSign. But for e-signature... No, but e-signature, I mean, your standard plan, I, don't, I get that maybe it's, some of the other stuff obviously isn't, but I feel like e-signature, you're really competing with DocuSign in Adobe. You're not. There's a bunch of other ones that are way more expensive. In this world of content platform systems, yeah, there are other options. They cost the same, if not more. And Microsoft potentially tries to eat their lunch. Because if you think about it, for somebody like an OnBase or a laser fish or something like that to integrate with SharePoint, they're stuck at the API surface. Now, I'll give you like a good example. If you go to a law firm and that law firm uses Laserfiche today, all of their emails actually get ingested in there as documents in that system. So like your email gets a document ID. Every single email you send, every single document you write, every single version of that document, like they all get captured and go through this workflow and do these things. So if you think about the friction for those vendors to integrate in the office ecosystem, Microsoft definitely has an advantage here in that they can see the APIs as they're coming, they could potentially influence the design decisions and how those APIs are built now, all to their advantage for what's arguably a pretty tightly integrated system already. And yeah, you just tack these things on here. If this costs the same exact amount of money as an existing content platform and somebody builds a migration engine for it, you'd be hard pressed as a customer not to make that argument as to like why you just wouldn't do this why you just i get that from a if you're looking at the holistic content processing i guess 
I have enough clients that aren't doing maybe the holistic content processing that are just like, we need signatures on contracts. And your clients, so in that case, but your clients are not thinking about, let me go buy the most premium of the premium service. They're saying, I need to do signatures. I just need to do a signature. I need to do metadata movement in this single list over here from this thing. Not every single document that goes into my environment needs a unique document ID. Every single version needs to be versioned under that same document and it all needs to have these set pieces of metadata. That's a totally different class of business problems, regulatory kind of things that you have to go and solve for. So and that's where you see DocuMer SharePoint Premium is trying to wiggle their way into it's more that space or those types of customers that it might be trying to appeal to. I think so. Like I read all this and I look at it and the way it composes, I would have personally killed for this <laughs> a long time ago. Back when I was but a lowly SharePoint developer and I worked for a couple really big law firms like top 10 in, in, in the world by like size, revenue, things like that. As a SharePoint developer in those places, like I would have killed for things like this and to have access to this rather than the mishmash of stuff that came along with other of stuff you put together. Content services, yeah. Got it. See, and I have not, I will say that is one area from a massive law firm like that. I have not had a ton of experience, so I would not be able to adequately talk to how well this works. Maybe you should come back to the SharePoint world now that you have this, Scott. No. <laughs> <laughs> no not going to happen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to my crazy world of APIs and SDKs and live that life. All right. Well, we should probably wrap this up because, like you said, I do have a meeting now that you got me all worked up. Yeah, I know. I uh, do have some other Ignite stuff we can talk about in some future episodes. All right. There were some interesting security announcements too. I'll leave you with that. Some interesting stuff in the Microsoft Defender landscape. XDR. Yeah, we'll come back and talk about that one. Yeah. <laughs> you mean, what happened to 365? <laughs> Tease everybody with that. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks, Scott. Yep. Thanks, Enjoy ben. your weekend. We are recording this shortly before Thanksgiving, so anybody here... Well, you won't hear this before Thanksgiving. So enjoy your Thanksgiving, Scott. Anybody in the U.S. that hears this afterwards, I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving. And don't forget, Thanksgiving, December, holidays, all the next few months, trying to continue to do our fundraiser with Girls Who Code. So there will be a link in the show notes for that to try to top what we were able to get last year or what people donated last year to Girls Who Code. See if we can do a little better this year. Indeed. Go check that out and we will talk to you next week. Great. Thanks, Ben. If you enjoyed the podcast, go leave us a five-star rating in iTunes. It helps to get the word out so more IT pros can learn about Office 365 and Azure. If you have any questions you want us to address on the show or feedback about the show, feel free to reach out via our website, Twitter, or Facebook. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.